Welcome to the Codex. That's what we're calling our podcast. And, um, oh, fantastic. One of, one of the reasons uh, I was really excited to talk to you is um, the story you told us when we were in London uh, of okay. uh, immigrating to the UK, um, working hard, having that uh, job uh, during the evening, I believe it was security in a <laughs> sort of detail, right? And, and yeah, where, yeah. where you got to see the underbelly of London, so to speak, right? Well, yes, and, yes. Uh, and how you survived that. And, and more importantly, how you brought a sense of like ethic, work ethic in, and um, care to, to that job to the point that you got noticed and you were given a great opportunity, right? And then you moved into sure. the IT sector. And uh, the rest of it, you know, is history, so to speak. And then uh, to find out you have two books coming out now. Um, <laughs> I do. IT courses and, and being like from the IT background, I'm really yes. interested in that, especially around the agile perspective. Um, sure. So there's a lot of things uh, that are really interesting. One thing that Justin just brought up that I have forgotten is that you homeschooled your kids, right? And you had, a, <laughs> and you had a attitude or a view of the educational system. And to, oh, tell, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, to tell you the truth, the UK educational system is a lot better than uh, the US, that's for sure. It, wow. It's somewhat better than uh, Canada. Um, so there's a lot to talk about there, but um, I, I think we can just start with you just tell us a little bit about, about your background and how you got to the UK. Okay, so um, where do I start from? You, you seem to have covered off most of the summary, <laughs> and I guess uh, I guess remember a lot from our time uh, at uh, at London a couple of months ago. But but um, you know it's it's been a journey. Um, it started for me in 1998. Um, but but before then, you know, I grew up in what I'll refer to as um, a working class family. You know, my dad was an accountant. My mom was also. Well, she, she was more of a management consultant for the, um, the, 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 the past in Nigerian government. So she used to help them to write this script, this sort of script that I would have to read out to the nation and stuff like that. So, you know, I grew up in, you know, I grew up with two strong adults that were very aggressive. And I think that's where I learned a lot of my skill set from. And so um, towards the tail end of the 90s, uh, my dad, maybe it was just the Nigerian economy. He lost a lot of money and um, we found ourselves in, a very, very tough situation where, you know, the average six square meals a day, I could go into the fridge and grab anything, became one. And, uh, you know, I could see that he was struggling. And uh, I literally just started to, you know, bring myself or push myself a bit harder. I started to learn uh, um, trades like in carpentry, uh, how to be an electrician or a plumber, because you just, you just never know where these sort of things could take you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every other, every other fourth night, I would leave Nigeria and go by road to the next country. And I'll say to my friends, I'm traveling abroad. And they'll look at me and think, you know, the only way abroad is the United States or the UK. Where the hell are you going to? <laughs> but, but, but for me, it was always trying to build that perception of, you know, just going out to explore something different. Um, Nigeria is surrounded by Francophone countries, French-speaking countries. And so I'd go to the Republic of Benin, then I'll push out to the next country. Then I'll push after the next one, Ghana, Sierra Leone, and I just kept on doing that every other every other week. But but in coming to the UK, it was um, it was a journey that um, I never expected. But but this also stemmed from meeting people along the way that were taking similar routes as well. Now now for legal reasons, I can't go into details online for now. But but I promise when I can, you will be the first to know. <laughs> but um, 
it was it was quite um it's it's not what I wish on anybody, even my worst enemy to even try to do these days because things have changed a lot. But but it's the sort of thing that you would consider doing as a tourist where you want to just go by by land, by road, from one country to the other and then map your way to the next one. Um Unfortunately, when I started the journey, I, I didn't tell my parents about it because I knew there wouldn't be in support. I'm sure my father would have preferred, you know, well, give me three months or six months, I'd raise the fund and I'll make this happen for you. But, but there was a part of me that wanted to just prove to him that, you know, you've, I've learned so much from you and the only way I can prove it is to go it alone and take this risk. You know, what's the worst that would happen? Come back to square one and just get on with it. But at least I'll know that I have tried rather than fail to try. Um, so I remember I, I left on a Friday. It took me about two weeks to get to the furthest shore of uh, the northern part of Africa. And um, some things led to the other, put it that way, and found myself on the shores of Europe. Um, you know, from then on, I, I made my way into the UK. Um, and I think that's where all the different skill set that I'd learned from my parents came into play. Uh, my dad would wake me about 5 a.m. in the morning because... As far as he was concerned, I was 16 or 17 or 18 then, and, and he would wonder, why are you still sleeping at 5 a.m.? You haven't, you haven't achieved anything yet. What are you still doing in bed? <laughs> and so, and you know, unfortunately, um, although I haven't started out my boys yet, they're still too young, but I still find myself waking up so early. You know, I wake up to pray, I wake up to get ready for the day, I wake up to meditate. I wake up to plan for the day, you know, so it's always been part of me ever since, you know, that, that level of aggression to start early. And so, you know, coming to the UK, I realized that a lot of people have so many opportunities they're surrounded by, and they're just not taking advantage of them. Um, you know, when, when I compare the, the social system in Nigeria with that of the UK, um, over here, being part of the UK now, you have a social system that supports you, even if you don't have anything a social system that'll pay your rent, give you some pocket money, give you some money for food. You don't have that in Nigeria. And so I, I felt, wow, if you, if you can live this way, I'm not in support of it. I cannot sign up for it because of my status one. But even if I had a stable status, I still wouldn't sign up for it because I didn't grow up that way. So every day was a challenge. Every day was a fight to be able to make, you know, make the next meal, save up for the next day, fight to earn some money to keep for some, you know, for, you know, whatever circumstance in the future, there was always a fight in me. And even when I couldn't find, find, a, uh, find, find a job to do, I'll still create one for myself. You know, I'll go to local papers and see if people are looking for gardeners. I knew nothing about gardening, but, you know, I remember the first day I picked up a rake, I picked up a shovel. I knew what to do next. I had owners, I had, I had all owners that would call me up and say, you know what, we just want this rubble to be clear. We just don't have the time. I found people paying me because they would rather use the time wisely elsewhere. And so I started a garden business. You know, I'll put, I'll put adverts in the papers. I'll get about 20 people together. That house needs cleaning. That house needs cleaning. And then I found myself in a situation where I was coordinating and I took myself out of the picture. So I was coordinating people to do the physical work and I was simply, you know, communicating where they would go next. And I was making a lot more money from that. And all of this was just down to my mindset and the thought process rather than waiting for that social system to give me the next handout for the next week. Through doing that, I stumbled into working as a security guard, as you know, um, working the streets of London, but I still kept my positive attitude, you know, because I know that it's all about networking, it's all about communication. It's all about putting yourself out there in the best possible way by being true to yourself as well. And um, that's what I stuck to. And 
throughout that period of time, you know, I started to make lots of great friends, people that I just meet at the storefront, they want to come for lunch, they want to buy a drink, and they'll stop by to have a conversation. Some will stop by to encourage me to just get on with it. Some will wonder, why would you stand here for 12 hours a day? It doesn't make sense, you know. But to me, it made sense. You know, it was £4.25 or pence per hour. But, you know, from a networking perspective, I was meeting people. You know, I was rich in terms of the quality of the numbers in my phone book. I had lawyers as friends. I had business owners. I had, uh, you know, I mean, you name it, all across the spectrum. And, and so from there, I, um, you know, I got this opportunity from this gentleman. He literally walked up to me and said, you know, um, there's a customer services role going and we just feel you're going to be a good fit. With a bit of training that takes about a week or two, you could start taking calls on our behalf in this company and you just never know where things will go from there. And, and so then that's where the journey started for, for me getting into technology where I, I still remember that first day where I sat down there next to one of the best girls in the contact center. You know, I had my plugs on. I, I could listen to the conversation with the customer that she was having. I could feel that triage going on between her, the data she was seeing, the customer on the phone the emotions she was throwing into it and, you know, the fact that, look, you still owe us money, we need to take this off you. And I was just, you know, working through all the different sequences from customer data to the billing to future bills to the customer history items and all the things that we've covered off of them to the ratings that were given to the customer in terms of, do we really need this kind of customer on our books or should we just push them out to a different competitor? And so I started to get a feel for, for technology, systems, uh, artificial intelligence, and how all these things networked and, you know, fused together. And so within two months, um, remember, you know, this was still my first two years in the country. Um, I had a very, very strong Nigerian accent. Um, I still have it. I keep it aside, you know, um, for when I need to use it, to be honest. But, but one of the things my dad said is when you're in Rome, it's always good to say, act like the Romans. But you need to do a lot better than them. You need to be, you need to... Uh, you need to embrace their culture, understand everything about them. That is the act. A lot of people simply think acting like the Romans is just one slice. It's embracing everything because it's where you are today. And it's all about integration as well. And so I found myself, first of all, first thing I did was I had to move away from the community, the sort of demographics I was living in. It was quite Nigerian, predominantly Nigerians, and I needed to sound differently. So I moved to a different part of London then, which is just more... Um, more English speaking, lots of English people there. And so within two, three months, I realized my dress code changed, my friends changed, my accent changed as well. And I set myself a target. I said, you know, now that I work in this company, um, I need to be one of the best um, customer service advisors on the floor within, I think I gave myself 90 days. And so I come in early, two hours before time, 7 a.m., I'm at my desk, literally listening to my previous day's recordings and her recordings as well. Um, and then I'll try and stay at least an extra hour after my shift just to make sure that everything was all tied together, all my outstanding actions all covered off, and literally getting myself ready for the next day. And so the flair and the, the draw for understanding the system better literally got into play. And so I'll get lots of people from the projects team that come to me asking me questions about what I know. And within, within about two, two and a half months, I was voted as the top three customer service advisors. Um, just, just for, you know, my, um, if I can remember that word again, um, I still can't remember it, but there was a specific phrase they used, but it was all around, you've been very caring and, you know, being there to literally just progress any issue that came my way into a very, very good state of completion. 
And so I, I then moved on from there and got a job upstairs working with the project team as a business analyst, um, helping them with, the, with, with, with identifying gaps in the system, exceptions, issues with the system that could improve. So I was working with the process improvement team during that period of time as a business analyst. And, you know, as you'd expect, I had lots of jealous friends that I left behind downstairs. So, but, you know, they had to cope with it. But, you know, the energy, the drive to keep pushing was always there. And so one thing else I learned from my parents was, you know, you have to be ruthless in life. You know, you cannot be um, uh, stagnant. You cannot just rest on who you are today because you've moved to that next level. There will always be another level to get to. And so within six months of learning so much, I'd set myself another target. I decided to resign. I literally just left. And, you know, it's a thing where in my head I'm thinking, if this company needed to get rid of me tomorrow, they would have done that. I mean, they've been great and I've given them 100% back, but it's time for me. And there has to be that rootlessness every time or else there'd be no point in living. So I took the risk and I joined another company, did the same thing as a business analyst. Within three months, I asked if I could become a senior business analyst to refuse. And I thought, okay, I think I'm ready for this. I think I'm better, I'm better than the other seniors there. Gave it another six months. I think I was there for about nine months and I left again, you know, and um, I kept on doing that because uh, the notion, the perception in life is hold on to one job, you know, be there for about 10, 20, 15, 20 years, you know, do longevity and, you know, progress through the ranks. My view was different, which is, you know, hop about from different clients to the other to understand the different culture, the different mindset the different business models and give yourself two or three years and hey, if you have to set up your own company. And that's what I kept on doing, just kept on pushing in that way. Um, and so I moved on through different aspects of technology, uh, worked as a solutions architect for a while. I didn't like it, you know, it's good, it's good, you know. Worked as a project manager, program manager, I worked with offshore teams, uh, worked in different um, financial products, socks, GDPR, I mean, you name it, you know, literally, I think it's also my mindset. I get bored easily. So you've got to give me something very challenging, something that is exciting as well. And that just gets me going, literally. Um, so currently, um, thinking about technology, currently I work with an American company that just bought us over. And we've been working on this key program to um, change uh, the financial systems into, uh, into one that's more palatable, one that is a lot more, uh, I guess, better going forwards. It removes all this uh, issues around legacy systems away. And, you know, if I look at the work we've been doing with them for the last nine months as a consultant, I think for me it's, it's broken every rule. It's challenged my stakeholder migrant skills way to the core. You know, um, I mean, the Americans are crazy, I must say. You know. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, they, want to, they want everything done now. And, yeah. you know, it's all about just trying to make them see the perspectives, the different perspectives. and standing strong and I think one thing that's really helped me as well is my integrity, my honesty. Um, I go on a lot of steering committee calls where I look into their eyes and say, it's not as it should be. I don't know who's fitting you all this crap, if you excuse my language, but this is the line of truth. This is where things are. This is where I think we are. This is what we can do to get to that next level. And you know, for us to go live, we might need to spend an extra half a million here or there, but you need to get rid of that person, that person. We need to stay focused by having a smaller team. But I think the bigger picture for me has always been my integrity. And I think that is hard coming from a Nigerian, you know, mm. where we come, would you have, um, what's that phrase I'm looking for? Um, you know, there is always that aura about us, we Nigerians. Whenever a Nigerian comes into a room, you think fraud, you think this, you think that, but you know, you have to fight those perceptions as well. 
but um, you know, I think in a snap, you know, in a little snapshot, I'm not sure if that answers your question yet. But in terms of my story, um, it's still ongoing. Um, the the books that I'm trying to get through, um, the, the the first one, which is around an immigrant and the job is, isn't just about an immigrant that comes into the country because if you go back centuries, everyone has had to move from somewhere to the other. I think that definition of immigrant for me is about you know you are between a certain age group, between 18 and say 40, and you need to be doing something. You need to not wait for the system to place jobs online. You need to not wait for the social systems. There's something out there. There's always a need out there, and it's all about just identifying what that need is. I, um, I saw a caption online about three weeks ago of a father that um, placed his 14-year-old during this school, uh, school holiday period into, um, into a, a, a mechanics workshop to learn how to fix cars. And, you know, there are lots of, you know, pros and cons about that. But I thought, well, that's cool, you know, because a 14-year-old spending the next eight weeks thinking of how to break open an engine, a car engine, put it all back together, that stays with them forever. But, but the book in itself is all about, it's partly about my journey, about the different things that I've done. I can guarantee I've done quite a lot of things, all positive, all good. Um, you know, but it, 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 it literally cuts across that excuse of I can't find anything to do. And it does, it's, it's never always about getting paid as well because I do lots of things for free as well. I, I, I work at the food banks. Uh, at, at least I do that once every month if I can. Help to serve soup. Um, I, I work for charities when I can. I get my children involved in that as well. It's all about just trying to give back to society. Um, and, um, you know, the gardening one was one that I did for about a year. Um, security, uh, plumbing I did for a bit carpentry i mean you name it but there's always something out there you'd be shocked how much people charge per hour to get them to come and fit a table for you you know so um i think that's what education is for me uh, partly ethics partly real life experiences from the outset for for the younger generation and that's where my, my challenge to the status quo of education comes into play um we we live in manchester currently and over the last three to four weeks um I've been witnessing lots of graduates, you know, wearing a beautiful regalia, uh, you know, it's come to the end of the school term or the end of the season where they get in their degrees. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the future for you guys? You know, I have so much pity for them, you know, out of every hundred, maybe just 5%, just five or less than 10% of them will get that desired job whilst the rest, you know, just fizzle into society. Some will go for the next, maybe a master's degree and PhD and, you know, all my money to the system whilst others will, you know, maybe just go back to, you know, to the basics and start off in a job that didn't require a degree. You know, it's, it's a minefield. It's, 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 one that, it's one that worries me because who knows, they could have spent the last three or four years doing something different. Maybe whilst learning in real time via an online course, they could have spent that time, you know, giving back to society or learning a new language, traveling the world or doing something else, you know, but, but it still challenges that status quo for me from so many different areas when it comes to education. Yeah. Cool. I hold that strongly. <laughs> you know, one thing I've, I found inter interesting is you mentioned that um, in Nigeria, as part yeah. of your report card, there was a, a score on ethics. Yes. Yeah, th that kind That's of blows you away. Yeah, because I, it, like, I've never come across that concept in Canada. Um, I, I, I'm just curious, how would, do they, how would they score you on, on that topic? On ethics? Yeah. So, Ethics comes with um, your interaction. It comes with how you dress. It comes with 
your behavior. So, um, and unfortunately, I guess I was the last born of three siblings. Um, when I was growing up, maybe it's the wrong excuse, but I never really got time to spell my dad. He was a very, very busy man, you know, at certain stages. But, but later, he, you know, that dwindled. And towards the latter stages before I left home, I got more time with him. So there was always um, a pushback from me. I was quite, you know, I don't know if you know what the de definition of a rascal is, you know. <laughs> I was always naughty. I was not, you know, and you just wonder, what's the, what was the game for you being naughty like that? You know, I was very brilliant as well, but, you know. Um, Sounds you like know, you're bored. I was bored, yes, you know, so, and it, it, it also stemmed from, you know, you're learning how to smoke cigarettes, how to drink alcohol, how to go, how to go partying late at night. But I go partying with about 10 kids, 10 of my friends. Next morning, I'm back in class, you know, having bet one of the best grades. So it was a balance. So, you know, you're not dressed well, you, 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 um, you're sacking your jeans or you've got a weird haircut. And remember, this is boarding house, not day school where my parents would see me on a day-to-day -day basis. I would never dare doing that. But there was something naughty about me on a day-to-day -day whilst I was in boarding school. So I'm away for 90 days. They don't know what I'm doing there, but I come back with very, very good grades. So the ethical thing was how you speak, how you carry yourself, how you dress, your haircut how you walk, your confidence, how you interact, you know, there is a special score for that. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's missing in the UK, you know, because I see the kids today and I'm thinking, wow, this is scary, you know. At my stage, we're doing it at 16, 17. Now you see young kids as young as five, six, seven, using F words and the parents, you know, in public and rolling on the floor, mocking about, you know. I think the ethics is not just down to children alone, it's also for adults and parents, which is really missing. It's a society thing. And right. I think we Nigerians, I have to refer to Nigerians alone because that's where I grew up. It, it's always a father's, a parent's joy to be able to say, you know, when, when the feedback comes back and say, you know what, your parents, your, your, your children are well, you know, they're, you know, they're well versed, they're, 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 you know, the way they carry themselves and everything is, you know, it's always good for parents to hear that. They want to hear that first before the results, before they open the results and see how, how he did in physics or chemistry. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure if that answers it, but another yeah. example I could give you is um, I, I went to um, an event with my son uh, about two months ago. Uh, he does this every month. He's, he's into karting, motorsport. And so he gets, he gets invited to quite a few events to come and you know, see new car engines for F3s and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the race organizers came up to me a couple of hours later and said, I, I can tell your son comes from a good home. You know, the way he speaks, the way he, he's very humble, he listens. And whenever you tell him to do certain things, he just gets on with it and he comes back to you. He's very respectful. And I just thought, I looked at the missus and I thought, well, well, let's take, we have to take credit for that. It's been <laughs> tough because, you know, I have to, you know. And I think there was a part of me that felt, I wish I'd given my parents a bit more of this sort of feedback to come back to them as well. Right. But, but it's all about taking those things away that we started off life with and, you know, just passing those things on as well. And we just felt, and that's where homeschooling came into play because the ethical foundation for me personally, and this is no disrespect to anyone, is severely missing in society these days. You know, um, we've got church tomorrow, for example. I mean, I'm not sure if you can see my hair. Um, I've still got to go to the barbers. The boys have to go to the barbers. Um, in about two hours' time, we've got to look at the clothes we have to wear to church. It's going to be well-stacked, well-ironed. We've got to be ready. You know, it's part of the ethics as well, which is preparing for Sunday, and it's important to us. And it's not just Sunday alone. We do this every day. We've got to prepare for the week. And it's all about the ethical, about, fine, let's plan ahead. 
where are we going on Wednesday? What are you going to talk about? How are you going to carry yourself? And that's the ethical that is missing today, which, yeah, which I struggled with as a kid as well. So I scored low on that, to be honest, when I was a kid. But yeah. Well, it sounds like you made up for it now. <laughs> I did. I did then. And uh, I, I am doing that going forward. Yeah, it is. Um, because even for kids, you know, they, they have to be kids. You have to let them to be kids. Yeah. You can't be too hard on them. And so I think the ethics for me is how I also carry myself is what they tend to copy and mirror. So we do a lot of work on ourselves to ensure that, you know, we give them the best foundation that they can copy and take away. So, yeah. Right. Well, when do you think, that, yeah. go, go ahead, Anthony. Um, when, when do you think that transition happened? Because I, I, I kind of went through something similar in my life. I, I, was, I was a bit of a rascal myself. And um, th yeah. that's why when, when, um, uh, when you said you, you didn't know why, you know, you were acting out and stuff, I was like, you were bored. Because I, I, I felt yes. the same way in school. And it was yeah. even worse in America because um, this goalie, this goalie system is like designed to make you dumber. And um, um, sure. uh, so I, I, I like I benefited from from goofing off because I, I got less indoctrination pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, um, I guess mm -hmm. I, for me there was just this just some sort of transition when I, you know between yeah. twenty three to twenty five for me. But um, I, did you experience something similar? Was it during like your your traveling and stuff or? My, my style a lot sooner. One was um, because our Nigeria is set up and our educational system, and then maybe it's not a fair thing. Let me just take that back. In terms of father-to-son relationship, you know, we, we struggle as, maybe, maybe as black people, let me even just take it there. We struggle with relationships. Um, everything has to be mechanical. It's very, very hard for a son to just walk up to his dad and give him a hug or just talk to him in a certain way. You've got to bow your head. You've got to put your hands behind your back and be overly respectful. So there was always that fear factor I had to my dad from the outset. And I felt the only way that I could show that was to take it out there and just take my anger out there. One of the things I changed with my kids is they, you know, although they're upstairs now, they could literally just come and jump off and, you know, touch my head or, or you know, tap my nose. I give them that freedom to be able to come close to me. Um, in terms of the transition, um, I think it's partly grace, you know, grace, spiritual grace. Um, I got lucky because, as I said, I've got two other siblings that are really struggling. Um, you know, they're far older than me and they are still, they're still kids on the inside in terms of how they carry themselves. Transition for me was down to my experience. The travel was very important. One, my dad, being the last one, I think maybe, maybe he might have learned from the first two he sent me away from the western part of the country in Nigeria. I grew up to the northern part. And so I experienced a different culture immediately, a different language I had to learn, a different kind of people. And then when I finished it five years later, I came back and then they sent me to the eastern part of the country where I had to learn a new language as well. So it gave me a different flexibility to deal with people differently. And so taking on that option to travel out of the country, just 100 miles that way every two weeks, we're just extending that mindset. That, and I think that's where the transition happened for me because the exploration that I missed out when I was a lot younger, I started to cultivate myself. And that really helped me. And, you know, I, I think it helped me to appreciate who my parents were and what they'd given to me because I started to meet a lot more people in worse situations. So, you know, if I was complaining that we moved from six square miles to one, I met people that struggled on a meal for a week or two or three days. People only had a pair of shoes for a whole year. So it made me to appreciate life a lot more. And I think I'm still in that mindset where everywhere I go to, I have to, one, be appreciative and think it could be worse. So the transition happened in my late teens, you know, and I think I'm happy that happened then because 
it gave me a strong foundation of I know what I want from life now. The aggression is there. The positivity is there. I can channel, I can channel it properly. And I'm very one-dimensional as well. So, and unfortunately, my wife struggles with it, but I think she's worked around it. When I wake up every morning, there's just one thing I want to do. You know, I, I say to her jokingly, um, from a spiritual perspective, when God created the world, he did just one thing every day. So I'm not going to take on three things today, my dear. You know, she's very multitasking. I don't believe in that. I just want to focus on one thing today and just get it done. You know, if I do one thing very well every week, I'd achieve 50 things a year, and that's more than enough for a 42-year-old man. I don't want to do more than that. But transition, it was in my late teens, shortly before I came to the UK. So it helped me in terms of when I came here, I chose not to go nightclubbing because I knew what that would do to me. I chose not to smoke. I chose not to drink. I chose not to go partying. For the first 10 years, I was just working 15 hours a day, studying very hard, moved out from the wrong area, stayed away from the wrong group. And, you know, that transition helped me just focus. It's awesome. It's like um, mm-hmm. just listening to you, to you talk and go over this stuff. It's like um, with your mindset and what you yeah. do and what you focus on, it's like it, there's, there's just no way you cannot be successful. Um, (laughs) like everything you say is just like work on one thing at a time you know stay out of the clubs work actually work um and it's just like one after another it's like it's like wow you can just model your life around to that point you know life throws things at you you know um success is generic and it depends on what success is to you you know it's it's you know there's there's also the emotional side there's the family side of things um and you know we do have our moments of struggle um, the extended family, they're there with their chaos and their issues. And I've had to learn to just stay focused on what I'm trying to get to because th- there's an adage from my country that if I try to translate it in English, it says, if you go to the market to buy a product, when you get to the market, you don't listen to the noise around you. You just stay focused to the store or the shop you're going to, to purchase what you need to purchase and just get out. Don't wait to listen to the noise because that will serve as a distraction. You know, um, I was saying to Anthony, I think two days ago on, on, on Facebook that, you know, we took a decision about nine months ago to open a restaurant. Um, and it's all part of, you know, strategy for the next four or five years. And I sat down with the missus and thought, you know, what if technology, the, the technology job I'm doing, what if it's not sustainable? What if it's, what if something goes wrong tomorrow? How are we going to progress to the next level? Um, she's always wanted a restaurant. And so I said, well, maybe it's just time for us to build your baby up because, you know, you've given me 10 years of your life, sacrificed a lot of time. Maybe it's time to just focus on you. And so we started, we found a space. It was totally run down. You know, it's, it's a building that um, was abandoned for two years. I mean, look at it now. We, we've just moved in here. We've done quite a lot of work to it. Um, but This is it? Uh, well, this is the top floor. You know, we decided to live upstairs as well, you know. Um, but it's still a work in progress. Um, the, the kitchen downstairs, I'll see if I can, take it, I can show it to you guys. But, but what I'm just trying to draw out is um, we started this journey about uh, 60 days ago. We got two builders involved and, um, you know, pay them quite a lot of money on a daily basis to get the work done. But over the last three weeks, it started to get very emotional with me. Oh, um, you know, there's so much work to be done here. And I said, well, I know that, but I'm not asking you to do this so much. I'm asking you to do the priority items, and let's get this ready for um, the end of August. And unfortunately, I had to fire both of them yesterday um, because, um, you know, it's all about the rootlessness. You have, to, you have to question 
what you're trying to get out versus where these people might lead you. So this is the kitchen still work in progress. We just put an extractor up. I think that cost about four grand last week. Um, still pipes hanging all over the whole place. Um, wallpaper, we did this ourselves. The missus, uh, she wanted this kind of beautiful light. I don't know what it does for her, but um, <laughs> um, you can see there's some plugs in the ceiling as well. So what we're trying to do to that is um, we're going to turn upside down projectors and project um, films on the table when people are eating. Um, because we've looked at Manchester and this has never been done before. So it's, we're kind of like almost done. We're about four weeks away. Um, Still lots of work to do, but, you know, to be fair, the two guys, I said to them yesterday, you guys have brought me this far, but for me to get to that next level, I cannot get rid of your emotions. I need to find a new group of people to get me to that next level. So, you know, it was distressing for them because they couldn't understand why I did that. But from my perspective, I sunk in about 25K so far. For me to open up, if I carry on with them, they will stop me. So, um... It was a tough decision, but I had to make it, and I made it within two seconds. I thought, look, this is it. I'm paying them off this Friday. I'll give them an extra week's wage, but I have to let them go because of where I'm trying to get to. So um, I think it's, 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 um, it's how I am as a person. There, is, there are two sides to it. You know, there's a side where I'm nice, friendly, but there's also that side of, hang on, if this is a hurdle that's going to stop me from getting to that destination I'm trying to get to, then I've got to kill it. I've got to get rid of it. And, yeah. Yeah, kind of kind of leads back to um, um, how you said that you, you had to get out of the, the Nigerian community. And, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I moved onto an island about three months ago. and um, Wow, uh, awesome. Just, yeah, just to, get, just to get away from the city. And, um, and yep. the change was almost instantaneous. It was like yep. this weight was just lifted off of me because I, I, I'm not near any bars. I'm not like none of my friends can contact me anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah, so absolutely. Um, and it's the same thing when you have to fire somebody. Like you, you it, it's your job. You know, it, it, it's one of those things. It's like, are are you really being a ruthless person um, by letting somebody go, or are you or are you just doing the right thing? Because absolutely, because it's going to hurt that person too in the long run as well. They're, <laughs> they're not in the right yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was, um, we had a bit of a 360 feedback, you know, I said, look, you know, you've got to just speak to me, tell me how you feel about it. But, you know, from their perspective, number one was we didn't feel we we're being paid enough. And I thought, hang on, I actually we wanted to get paid per day and you gave me a figure, which I've stuck to, you know, I've never owed you any money. So where did this come from? So, you know, people will be there to, you know, to, to, to stop you from progressing. And it goes back to that definition of success as well. You've got to be able to discern the times. You know, um, if, if I called move to an island with yourselves as well, believe me, I'll do that because there'll be so much positive energy around us and lots of things will happen at short, you know, short, uh, uh, short time. But, but, you know, you have to learn to discern the times. And it's something that I remind myself of on a, on a daily basis. Um, I've also got a good partner with me. So she's always there to steer me in that direction if, for some reason, she feels I'm being distracted, you know, and I think it helps because I listen as well. I never used to listen. I put my hands up. It's been hard because I learned that from my dad. But over the last three years, I've done a lot more listening to her to a stage where whatever she says, you know, because the women are very good when it comes to seeing things differently. I just take it on and it works better, even 10 times better, you know. So um, it's been a journey and, you know, we're looking at different things to do in the course of the next six months. Um, 
I hope to get the restaurant ready in a month's time. I'm already looking at a second venue to use. I think there's a part of me where, you know, I, I, I never see, I, I don't feel there's a point in living if there isn't any risk to take, any risk that will keep me up at night because that is a fuel that keeps me going. Something has to keep me thinking ahead. You know, um, you know there's this tag I see on Instagram. It says achieve the impossible. I, I follow them for that reason because every day they put stuff up and I'm thinking, how can people do this? How can people do that? And, you know, we breathe the same air. They do, you know, why, why can't I do this as well? And so it's really pushed me. And as I said previously, um, we moved into Manchester about six, seven months ago because that's where my client is. So I work with them. And I see so many opportunities around me and I'm thinking, you know what, once this is done, I'm definitely going to chase that up. I'm just going to keep chasing that up. And what we find is, you know, wherever you, we drive to or wherever we go to, we almost listen to the boys arguing between themselves. Oh, come on, Timmy, Toby. What if we open the shop here? What if we tell daddy about that? So they're really picking up on the sort of things that we do. Wow. And, you know, I, I always say one thing, which, which my dad used to say to me. The biggest mistake you can make in your life is to wait for uh, my will. The best will I can give to you is the lesson that, of life that you learn from me on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what I've held him to, you know. Um, and as I had the opportunity to thank him for that before he passed away. But, um, you know, um, it's been a journey, you know, um, and it still carries on. So I think for us, success is how we impact, you know, one, the community that we live in. So um, the people that we meet along the way, family and friends. I think that's been a challenge because uh, a lot of family and friends, they look at us and they think we're crazy people. Um, and, and that's simply because, you know, a, a lot of them have literally students sat where they started off with, you know. Um, and a lot of, they just cannot understand why I do what I do. And, you know, but, but I never wait to challenge that because that'll be another distraction. So, yeah, we just stay focused best, you know. But it, it is hard sometimes because even with the missus, she says, oh, we're talking business for too long now. When are we going to get some time together, go for a holiday, you know. So we should, we, yeah, we, we tend to put that in as well. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Gus, let me ask you a question. Like, you, you mentioned a lot of your friends think you're crazy. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that there's like what that tells me is like you have this incredible drive. Maybe they don't as much anyway, right? Yes. So yep. Th that must affect the friendships. Like you, like you said before, like when you moved to a different area of London, you you had new friends, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you, do you see yourself like moving away from those friends and moving more towards friends with the same mindset? Like is that part of your transition? Is that part of your journey right now? You know what? That's interesting because I'll say yes to that because it's not something you plan. No, no. Coming to, coming to London Real wasn't planned for me. My wife forced me to come to London Real. And I thank her every day till this morning for making that happen because I've met wonderful people like yourselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the more and after doing London Real, I've looked at all the networking events to attend. But, but I've been pretty measured because it's not just about paying for the next one. You've got to see what they hold, what they stand for. And. Right. If it doesn't tickle my fancy, I literally just regress away from it. But um, I was watching Luke Cage yesterday um, on Netflix, and, and I think someone in there said, having too many friends brings you to ruin. <laughs> and I just held on to that. Right. But, but the, the emotional part of it is I have friends that I grew up in Nigeria. They've got a WhatsApp group. And I remember up until last week, they were accusing me of just being very, very, you know, stagnant. I don't say nothing on the WhatsApp group. And my response to one of them was, well, what is there to say? You guys, 
share naked pictures every day. You're talking about <laughs> nonsense. You know, there's no, there's nothing to talk about. It's not my thing, but I can't leave the group because if I try to do that, you guys will accuse me of being aloof, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a rock and a hard place for me, you know? And, yeah. and so they just, I, I said, when you guys come up with a very, very good idea that we can invest in to impact Nigeria, then yes, you would hear my voice. You hear me. Oh, then they were like, Oh, what if you come up with the idea? And I said, the thing is, you guys don't have the mindset to deal with the ideas that I have. And I'm sorry, but that is the truth. So, you know, and, and the honest truth is, I'd rather just be your friend, you know, a very, very silent friend than to be a business partner because it's just not going to work. And I can see that's not going to work. But, right. but to answer your question, yes, I have started to meet a lot more people that are like-minded like yourselves. And that, you know, that's the sort of positive energy that I think is missing in society today. Um, you have meetup groups that are, you know, that people join. Uh, but, but it tends to end up being a social event sometimes, some of them. But, you know, I, I think London Real, to be fair, has been very, very kind to us. And, you know, meeting, you know, you know all the sessions we had, the fact that we've been able to carry this forward, it's been very good, honestly. Yeah. So um, to answer your question, yes, I've had to leave a lot of people behind. Yeah. I've had to leave a lot of family members behind. Um, I think it's been a lot harder for my siblings because, unfortunately, they're not doing so well. Um, and so it's been very hard for them to, I guess, to deal with, you know, but you have to separate the, uh, the emotions in terms of where you want to get to. I was just talking to a friend of mine that lives in New York, who's uh, become a successful photographer and, right. um, and he used the word ruthless also, right. In regards to cutting people out of his life that, yeah. um, weren't contributing anything to his life. Yeah. And I remember thinking when he first said that, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of like, that's selfish. Like, you know, it's kind of your responsibility to help your friends. Um, but then I talked to my wife afterwards, and she basically had the same sentiment that you did, that if you want to progress to the next level, you have to surround yourself with people of the same mindset, or else they'll be pulling at, at you in Absolutely. some way. Maybe not yeah. so subtle way sometimes and holding you yeah. back, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it took me a long, long time to really to buy into that and realize that was true, right? So when you told the, when you told the story about being ruthless with the people that were working on your restaurant, yeah. um, I have a lot of admiration for that because it took me a long time to even realize that, right? So yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not even at the point where in the, being in some situation where I could pull the trigger that quickly. Um, yeah. But that, I think right now, is um, an important characteristic to have to keep yeah. yourself for so that you can be ruthless with, with yourself right sure, so never sure. settle um mm. so you've given me something more to think about i haven't <laughs> thought about that ruthless thing when it comes to friends yeah. for a while but it, it is important it is very very and um you know you couldn't call it any other way i, I think there's something the word used there is selfish um sometimes when i think of what we're trying to achieve if i do it for us then i'll call myself selfish Right. Um, I, I, I say this a lot as much as my missus never likes me to use that narrative. I, I say it in a very positive way by saying that I think I've lived my life so far and now I'm living for the generations to come. Right. And that's the mindset that my father also held on to. So for that reason, you know, I, I would want them to wake up and know that, you know, they have a father or they had a grandfather that came through the shows and did certain things in readiness for them rather than, you know what, oh, for me to even buy a flat tomorrow as a young kid of 18, where am I going to get 20 grand from or 30 grand from? Oh, there is an estate 
where can we can draw that up from. So I think I'm just thinking ahead for them, and that helps me to wake up early every morning and just keep going for it. Without that, I could say, you know what? I could move to Spain, you know, buy a land, an empty land for ten thousand dollars, build a little hut on it. You know, my missus would definitely come with me. You know, we'll, we'll put <laughs> Wi-Fi in there as well, and just just chill. You know, live life and yeah. have a small fun there. But is that all there is to it, or can we just do more? And it's all about just answering that question of doing more by being not by not being selfish to ourselves. Um, but yeah, yeah. unfortunately with life, you know, because of the emotions and. For example, the two guys that I worked with, people will throw things at you. And, you know, it's a lot more difficult, as I said, with family. I've had a cut down. I have had, I've had a cut from a lot of people in the past. And there were times when we had massive family issues that for three years, and I'm being honest with you, Anthony and um, Justin, I'm not lying. For three years, I didn't speak to my dad, my mom, and my two other siblings. And I say this to my missus every day, that those three years helped me to take me to that next level whilst I was here. You know, you'd, you'd always have family squabbles. And unfortunately, when you're the last born, everybody tends to blame everything on you. What the three years did to me when I came back to them was, they thought to themselves, if we upset this guy again, he's going to go away again. So let's treat him with a lot more respect. Let's hear his views, respect his views, and show that we care as well, you know. Right. And that it literally changed when I got back. And this was 2003 when we made up again. But but for three years, what I showed to them was I'll ruthlessly go away to stay focused on what I'm trying to get to. I cannot, I said to my brother and my sister, I cannot keep living or paying rent in a small room when I can be a landlord. I cannot keep listening to your nonsense about family issues when I should stay focused to buy my first property. So those sort of things just kept me going. And so by the time I got back, I think I understood it. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but it's, um, it's a life I've chosen to live, you know. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. it seems like you've been able to build those characteristics. I think like Justin said, that enable you to, there's no way you cannot be successful. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the only, like you, like you keep saying, the only issue is, is how you define success. But I mean, yeah, like yeah. whatever you choose that, that success to be, you're, you're going to nail it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I pray so. Yeah, I'll keep you guys, I'll take you guys on a journey. I promise. It's uh, <laughs> And I promise, I promise. Uh, you know, sorry, go ahead. One of the things I really remember uh, that uh, stick out about you as we were going through the course before we met in London was, yeah. was your videos. I remember one, one day me and Justin were like uh, on um, Facebook trying <laughs> to like get everyone to like get the assignments done, right? And, uh, and you were driving like five, uh, five hours from somewhere trying to get back in time to do the video, yeah. right? Yes. And then you said, wait, wait, I got the video, but I have to do some uh, editing. I'm going, editing? What editing? Right? <laughs> and, and then, and then you, you made it like a Hollywood production, right? <laughs> everyone else just got the camera in front of them, and they're, you know, they're, they're doing their spiel. <laughs> Gus had his spiel, and then you had to go back and like, make it like a Hollywood film. And that kind of like, yeah. emphasizes like, your approach to life, right? Which, you know what, it's, it's, um, and it's myself and a partner, we're, we're like, we're, we're perfectionists. Yeah. And you know what, we've had, to, we've had to turn down on that because you could lose a lot, you could lose a lot in life by being too, by trying to be too good, you know. Um, and so, yeah, um, even with the, with, with, with the restaurant we're trying to build downstairs, you know, we had that gold standard, we had someone in the middle that we're trying to reach. And, um, but yeah, she was, oh, she always insisted, 
you've got to put yourself out there in the best possible way. And I thought, but yes, but you know, I'm sure that the group want to see the natural gas as well. So yeah, maybe just this one time, you know, <laughs> but yes, yes. I took that feedback away. And I must say London real for me. Um, I think the last day that I came into London, you know, I wasn't really prepared, but I think it was good when I had my speech. It was, it was not the best speech. It was, it was crazy. It was all over the whole place. But I was a lot happier with the feedback from Brian. You know, he taught me yeah. me. And, um, you know, sometimes in life, you need to hear a lot of all those things as often. It brings you, it humbles you, and it helps you to reset. You know, um, I hope one day I'll have the time to, 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 you know, to tell him this and thank him for it. But it was a good time for me, you know, um, having to be scored very low for my speech and told off by someone I'd only known for six weeks, you know, I'm like, who the hell are you? But, you know, um, I embraced that. I embraced that a lot. And I think it helped me as part of my 2018 resolution as well, just to get prepared in a, you know, a far different way. So, um, yeah, I think that's part of my listening as well and taking feedback in a different way. So, yeah, it's helped a lot, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yeah. Yeah, it was a very positive experience for me too. And I remember yeah. um, when we we were there on Friday night uh, doing our speeches, and uh, I, I think you were a little late. Again, you were driving five hours. You always you always oh, yeah. driving five hours to get to someplace, right? It was uh, stressful. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I saw uh, on a text like you had texted the group that you're downstairs, right? And Brian was Brian was literally like two feet in, fr- in front of me, and he was giving his spiel, right? I'm thinking, oh fuck, Gus is downstairs, man. I hope someone sees this, but and he doesn't like take off, right? Because got another <laughs> drive. So then I, I I got up while Brian was talking, and I went to one of the assistants to tell him that you were downstairs. And then yeah. Brian looks at me like he wants to fucking kill me, right? Because <laughs> why are you standing yeah. up while I'm talking? Right? Yeah. Well, Gus is downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, Brian. No, was, uh, I mean, he's a wonderful man, and what he's done so far is, you know, his platform is awesome, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I guess, you know, I'm not sure what your plans are, but it's the sort of thing I would love to do from a different perspective. I've been trying my hardest to build it, but, you know, there's just so much that I want to do. Um, I mean, last week I literally said to the missus, um, I, I want to cycle around Nigeria, I want to cycle around Africa, and... You know, she'd show me this guy on Netflix that did something similar. He started from Germany, went through Belgium, most of the European countries, Russia, Turkey. He cut into Taiwan. He cycled into China, then Australia. And then he went around the Route 66. And I thought, Miss Babe, I really want to do this. And, you know, she's quite similar to me. All she said was, look, I'm going to start this process for next year. And the only thing that will be an issue is if you say no when she's ready for it. So, you know... Life is too short, you know, and yeah. I think we've come to a place where we just want to leave beautiful memories down, you know, put beautiful memories out there. And, I, you know, I think someone said something crazy to me some time ago. Um, he said, when you look at the graveyard, there's so, there's so many people in there, but it's filled with talents that were never ignited. You know, it's filled with so many ideas, so many concepts that were never started off. So I don't want to be like that, you know, because you can't guarantee tomorrow. So everything is always aggressive and passionate for me. And so, yeah, I've just got a list of things to do. And, you know, if I could replicate London Real in a different way, I'd love to do that as well, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Yeah, too. absolutely. So I, I think what one of the, the keys, and, and I've been studying this uh, lately in regards to how to manifest, how to, how to reach the next level. And one yeah. of the keys is you have to be ruthless with yourself, right? 
but you also have to keep put, putting yourself in new situations, right? If yeah. you don't yeah. put yourself in new situations, everything becomes common, everything becomes familiar, right? Yeah. And you Absolutely. get into the rut, right? And, and that's, mm. that kills any motivation. So that's why Absolutely. it's so important to be trying new stuff all the time. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And you, and you seem to have that one nailed down. Um, talking about your restaurant, is, is it going to be Nigerian food? Um, so this is quite interesting. Um, I've, I've had one filled business focusing on the Nigerian demographics in the past. Right. And so um, we have a mindset as black people that is quite strange. Um, <laughs> and, I, I, you know, a lot of the speaking engagements that I go to where, where it's predominantly black people, I, I speak my mind to them. They accept it. And, you know, it, it might take years for that change to come, but we, we seem to have a notion of wanting to pull ourselves down first. Okay. So, um, you know, to answer your question, it's going to be partly Nigerian. It's going to be Afro-Caribbean with an European twist. So the missus has gone to Spain, Portugal, and Turkey to lend the foods over there. Oh, wow. And she's now mixing that into an Afro-Caribbean cuisine as well. So the demographics is not Nigerian per se. It's um, literally the whole community, put it that way. So um, you can come in and have your standard paella because it's something from Spain with a Nigerian twist to it because we like our, you know, we like our roasted meat with lots of chili uh, in a certain way. Okay. Um, or, you know, she's got, I mean, I've seen the menus that she's putting out there. I'm thinking, wow, this is scary. Um, the, the idea of having a projector that will beam um, uh, a film onto your table um, initially what we wanted to do with that was to have an interactive table where you can choose your film and play games and do all that. But the supplier came back and said, each table costs $2,000. And I thought my budget is, is not, you know, I've got a very tight budget. Yeah. So how else can I get around this? If I can, and 2000 times five tables is 10 grand already. So I thought, fine, you know, I'll buy a projector for a hundred dollars. I'll look out for short films on Netflix or wherever and beam it up and, you know, people can still have fun and watch stuff and, you know, um, have the earplugs plugged in. So it's all about bringing a different experience to this community, something that is, I, I, we want them to be able to walk into the restaurant, sit at a different menu and have a different experience, literally. So we have virtual reality coming up. Um, we have the projection. We'll have the different light and ambience. And because I think for us, eating is a privilege, you know, and it's, never, it's, not, about, it's not about how much you spend, but how well you enjoy your experience. So right. we're trying to bring the mindset we have at home into the restaurant. Um, for example, my missus would just not serve me food. You know, she would serve it in a very immaculate way, you know, in about three or four different dishes or different sizes and mix all sorts of things together. And I'm like, well, I just want to have lunch, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. But she's done this for the last 10 years. So everything has to be exquisite for her. And it's not about how much you spend. So it's not, it's not about spending $200. It's the same $10, but it's all just been done properly. And that's what we're trying to, that's experience we're trying to put out there. So right. I hope it's going to be successful. But um, yeah, to answer your question, to be a mix of different dishes with different twists to it as well. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah. It's Let us know when opening fun. night is. <laughs> Are you going to come? <laughs> I might. <laughs> <laughs> I might just. I, I could beam it. I could beam it on them on Zoom. But it's gonna. We're looking at the last. Um, the last uh, day. The last working day in August. Um, we've been 
and part of the advice we've been given is don't open a restaurant on the weekend because you'll be swamped. So we can't do a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. It's likely going to be a Tuesday because the last Monday in August is a public holiday. So we're likely going to open it on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday and slowly build up from there. You know. So, so do you still have your IT business? Is that still going in the background? It's still, it's still going in the background, but I've had to park that because, you know, diversion funds and my time and energy to this. Right. Um, so, yeah, I parked that for the, last three, for the last two, three months, actually. But, but did, uh, you mention, did you mention that you sold that company to, to an American company? No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. So um, on my day job, I work as a consultant to, with this American company. Okay. So, so I work as a consultant, but I also have the second IT job, IT company where I train people up and I try to get them work in IT. So that's a right. part-time thing. So that one I've parked, but on a nine-to-five, I go in Monday to Friday to work as a consultant for this American company uh, with, you know, trying to improve the financial system. So they're trying to install Oracle. So it's an Oracle migration we're doing, literally. Yeah. So that I do Monday to Friday. Then Friday, Monday to Friday evenings, I come here to work as a painter, as a carpenter, um, joiner, you know, plumber, everything. Weekends as well. So, yeah. <laughs> That's been the last like three you're, months. You're a little on the busy side there, Gus. <laughs> <laughs> it saves us money because you'd be shocked, you know, you'd be shocked to know that. For every plumber that comes in, literally it costs about $200 for them to just walk in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you think? I know. Uh, we had a plumber come in yesterday. It, it yeah. Very, very simple job, right? Um, yeah. Basically, anyway, very simple. And yeah. they, they charge $400, 400 Canadian, which wow. is about 200 uh, pounds for yeah. a 30-minute job. Yeah, the That's thing is, is um, with the toilet, you know, once you become a homeowner, you know, you 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 just have to learn how to fix a toilet and absolutely, you, absolutely. you realize it, it's it's interesting technology and all that stuff but um but it's very simple it's, yeah. it's yeah. very very simple <laughs> <laughs> it costs a lot it forces you to learn something yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> so Gus, one thing well it seems like we have a lot of things in common or driving towards like success being one of them the other major one uh that you've talked about before is meditating um, yeah. me, me and Justin like are fully into meditating and have been for a long time. Uh, sure. So I'd like to understand like when you, when you say meditating, like what's, what's that involved for you? So, um, uh, to be honest, I, I've dropped the ball on this for a while. My missus does that a lot more than I do. Right. But, um, so I've just literally just picked this up again with her last week. One thing that we do a lot is before the morning starts, right before 6am, it's, we'll refer to it more as before the break of dawn. Right. We have to pray. We have to read the Bible. We have to go into a period where we, we just sing, you know, very good solemn songs, calm songs, get ourselves ready for the day. You know, there's almost a spiritual connotation to it. Right. Uh, you know, coming from a Nigerian, it's almost a thing of um, uh, before the break of dawn, you've got to seal the day. You've got to get the day ready by meditating and praying to God to start your day off in the spiritual realm. You know, um, there's always that mindset that apart from the physical realm that we see, there's a spiritual one right. that literally supersedes and controls everything. And, oh, yeah. you know, you can, you, can, you can agree some things in the physical, but until you agree it in the spiritual, it might never get done. So part of the mindset is before people see you on the day, before those who are either for you or against you see you on the day, before the break of dawn, You've got to start your day in the spiritual realm by praying, by meditating, by, you know, almost praying to God to, 
prepare and you know best your day for you just make it as best as possible so yeah. it's it's always a focus on reading the word within the bible and just staying calm and just listening to your inner spirit um and that's what we do to be honest um and you know it's always fulfilling because during the day it, it, it there's always something you've kind of like contractually committed yourself to so i have times when i mean on a WhatsApp group a couple of weeks ago, someone called me a coconut. You know, we're talking about something about Nigeria. And he said, you shut up. I mean, you're just a coconut. And what that means is, you know, you've got a white man's culture on the inside of you and a black man, you know, and a black man's skin on the outside. And <laughs> Oreo, you know, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I just kind of feel that he's always had it for me. He was waiting to say this. So um, what, what I did was... Um, I responded with a smile, and then I also put in a YouTube link. Um, it was, a, it was um, a spiritual message I gave to a group of people just around marriage counseling years ago. Right. So I, I sent that link to him, uh, to the whole group, and I said, well, this is my response to you. Smiley face on the link. And I think he went into YouTube and watched it, and then he came back you know, very apologetic and said, look, I'm really sorry I shouldn't have said that about you. But, you know, I think... It's a tough world out there. And coming from the sort of culture and mindset that I come from, you know, there are too many envious and difficult people you have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So we see meditation as a great starting point to start your day and potentially end your day as well. You know, um, I've heard a lot of successful people that meditate literally start, middle, and end of day. They do it almost every hour. You know, I wish I could get to that stage, to be honest, because it calms you down. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Justin will, he would agree with me. When I was a lot younger, you know, I wasn't only naughty. I would go and pick fights. You know, if there was no fight, I would go and look for one. You know, I was always ready to fight everybody. So a lot of people that know me back then, when they see me now, they think, no, this is a facade. We don't really want <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even I had a young cousin two years ago that disagreed with me. No, last year, actually. He disagreed with me in a certain way and said some things to me early last year that you know, once of the better word was very unpalatable. But, you know, my response was quite key. You know, I just responded with a smiley face and I said, well, you know, I pray that everything goes well with you and you have a good, good week ahead. You know, I mean, how can you get to a stage where, you know, someone has just thrown a barrage of insults at you and you respond with a smiley face? It's not easy to get to that stage, you know. No. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm not trying to be Superman. I have to still go to the gym, put on my boxing gloves and let it all out. I do that every, at least twice a week. I have to let it all out be before I kill someone, you know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the meditation takes you some way, but the gym really helps, I promise you. You know, it really helps. So, yeah. But let me spin that question back to you. What's meditation from your perspective? Because I begin uh, to understand yours. So, um... I don't know if you remember, but uh, I told the story. One of, one of the videos in London Real was uh, when I had my spiritual awakening when I was 18, right? Yes. And that's I when remember. I started meditating. And, and it started by, I, feel, I felt a tap on my shoulder. Like I knew there wasn't any, anyone there, but I looked over and there was no one there, right? But I physically felt that tap. And I right. knew that part of me like something like an angel or part of me was telling me it was time to pay attention to the, the spiritual part of myself. Right. But I, I was sure. like 17 or 18 at the time. Right. And I was having fun. 
And that's like what ten years ago, maybe. Yeah, five. <laughs> <laughs> and and being raised a Catholic, I, I equated spirituality with religion. And one thing I knew about religion, uh, being dragged to church every Sunday, was that it was not uh, fun, right? Nope. <laughs> is whatever you do should be fun, right? So I so I remember mm -hmm. I felt the tap. I knew what it was about, and I said, "No, I'm not going down that road," right? Then right. I went to university. I graduated. and got a job. And, um, and I, I felt, I felt empty inside. Right. And then, mm. and then I felt that tap again. And this time I said, yes. Uh, so that's when I was 24. So I started meditating at that point. Um, and then I found like a, a spiritual teacher, went to India, meditated. But to, to me, the basis of meditation is from a scientific perspective is, is taking your brain waves to, to a higher, to an alpha level, and aligning the heart and the mind, right? Um, when I'm really working it, the heart opens up and the mind goes away. Like that's the ultimate, uh, for me, the ultimate objective of meditation. And the other thing that it allows you is most of what, most of how we behave is automatic. It's all these little programs running in the subconscious, right? And when you're in this higher state, you almost have direct, it feels like you have direct access to your subconscious and you can actually start reprogramming yourself using visualizations and affirmations, right? Um, so there's that thing too. But, but the biggest thing is getting to a higher level so you can feel that communion with your heart which is really God. So that, okay. that to me is the epitome of meditation or the goal of meditation. Okay. Do, do you run sessions of this? Because I wasn't sure if, um, was it yourself or someone was doing a meditation session at some stage? I might yeah. have missed it. Yeah, I, I did it uh, for about a couple of, I remember after London Real, everyone, especially people came back from London, like you're all charged and you, you feel like <laughs> the world, haven't been around like so many energetic people. I thought, yeah, I'll do this meditation. Um, and it lasted about two weeks, right? But right. It, it was fun while it lasted. Okay, fantastic. Are there, um, I think the question I'm asking is, did you have like, um, like resources that one could look into? Uh, because, you know, I always like to see things differently from a different perspective as well. Maybe any resource you could send to me or, or an article. Yeah, or yeah or definitely. Definitely. There's a lot of things I can send you. Fantastic. Meditation. Okay. And I know that Justin's like, he's, he's been studying his own meditation techniques. Oh, really? Maybe, okay. Yeah. Maybe Justin, you can talk a little bit about those. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, you know, for just just getting back to the to the idea of meditation. I mean, um, the thing that that you, that you said, Gus, um, uh, about there being a spiritual a spiritual thing that that kind of supersedes everything. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I always find it interesting how we have to like dance around that subject, and you have to say it like that. <laughs> Whereas in my, in my head, I'm like, that's the ninety nine point nine percent that's spiritual. Agreed. Just like one percent. Yeah. yeah. And. It, it's all about tapping into that and, and that goes into mindset because your mind is, is how you get into that, um, that, that realm and the realm yeah. of causality and stuff. But, um, um, the, the first thing I, I guess the, if you wanted to really, really get into meditation, I, I always suggest the Wim Hof stuff just because he just, he, he, um, a lot of courses, they do like hours of like, Hey, you know, you have to know this and that, and this is why you're breathing wrong and stuff. But you know, Wim just goes, the first video is just him. All right, we're going to do this, start breathing. And then, um, <laughs> and, and the way that he does it, you know, he fills your, your lower stomach and then lungs up 
where you, within like 15 breaths, you immediately start feeling stuff. And, wow. and when you start feeling things, then like it, it gets fun and exciting. You want to see how far you can push it. And the next thing you know, wow. you're literally looking at yourself outside of your body. <laughs> um, wow. But um, um, yeah, so I would go with the, the Wim Hof stuff. You get a lot of this Wim stuff on, on YouTube for free. And um, okay. uh, see if Genevieve wants to share her. Um, uh, her I can yeah. yeah, her account. With, uh, you know what? I think she might have sent something to me in the past, um, like a quick password, username stuff, but I never got around looking into it, to be honest. Take, take yeah. a look. It was that generous. She was that generous. I'll, I'll see if it still works. <laughs> yeah, she never yeah. even, yeah, she never even cared or questioned it or anything. She was, mm. We got to interview great. her next. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so Gus, another, another thing you wanted to talk about, which, um, it's really interesting to me is the economic situation in the UK and, and what you see coming. Um, and one of the reasons that is like really important to me or I'd, I'd like to talk about it is for the last like four or five years, actually almost since 2000, since, since 2008 when the financial crisis happened, yeah. I, I thought there was going to be a huge market correction that would like put us into um, a period of uh, recession or depression Absolutely. for an extended period of time. But that yeah. never really came about mostly because at least on the surface, that didn't seem to come about because the Western countries just started printing money, right? They, didn't, they didn't change anything structurally. I think the banks were still more or less insolvent. Like there wasn't yeah. a cash flow problem. They were just basically broke, right? Yeah. And in order to get around this, they paved over it with money. Right. Absolutely. And so when you hear like about um, in the UK, in the US, there was an announcement yesterday where the most people ever have been in, are now employed. Right. Um, but I think when you get under those numbers, you try you start to see like what kind of jobs those are. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <clears throat> like in the past, I haven't looked at the numbers from yesterday, but in the past, a lot of those jobs were part time service jobs, you know, like Walmart, yeah. where you're not making a lot of money. Right. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. why a lot of people have to work five, five, six jobs just to make ends meet. Right. Absolutely. And one, one phenomena that we're seeing uh, as, as we, as I went through the Western part of the U S in Canada in the last year or so, one thing that's really struck me, and even in Toronto and in other areas, but on the West Coast more, I think it's because of the climate, the number of homeless people hmm. is, I've never seen it this bad, yeah. And like I went to um, BC, which is on the Canadian West Coast, a little town called Kelowna, which is beautiful. We're thinking of buying a place there. We go through, the, <laughs> through downtown Kelowna, which is very picturesque. And there were almost as many homeless people as there were just people walking around, right? Wow. Yeah. And, and, and it seemed like a good 5% of those had serious mental issues, right? To the point Absolutely. that you, yeah. you, you completely avoided them. So yeah, yeah. I still think that at some time there's going to be this huge reckoning, right? Because we had a major problem in 2008 where the banks basically were insolvent. Nothing was ever solved. Those banks have higher derivative positions now than they did then. And it was yeah. only printing of money, which as any, anyone who's taken economics 101 knows, printing of money is not going to end up well, right? No, definitely not. So I would, love to, I would love to hear what, what your perspective is about the UK economy. You know what? It's a difficult one to say because you've, you've yeah. almost um, 
you've almost given most of the responses that I've gone after. Um, when you look at 20, 2008 to 2018, I mean, that's 10 years. Yeah. We've been in a slow recession ever since. And that slow recession will still continue. You know, um, I think as of 2008, <clears throat> the UK government owed in excess of about 200 billion. And one thing they did, which was fair, which is the conservative government was they cut down about 40% of the government spent to a lot of the services out there to pay back a lot of their debt. So as of, I think, last year, two years ago, that 200 billion roughly came down to about 40 billion. So it's all about restructuring by, you know, squeezing, you know, the public system, uh, the sort of funding that will naturally give to certain things. Now, to that event, you know, a lot of people that were used to that sort of social system of earning X amount of money per week was slashed down by maybe 30 or 40%. So it's been, it's been tough on the people here who are used to that sort of system. Right. Once the second thing that has been a bit of a worry is the debt levels in 2008 in comparison to 2018 is about five times higher. And I think that's part of the problem of printing money out because there's a lot more of it in circulation. So it goes up more as loans, as credit cards, as store cards, as car loans, mortgages, to people that cannot necessarily afford it. Right. And then so, you know, the debt burden is a lot wider. It's a lot wider outreached. And would we have a deal reckoning? I don't see that happening. You know, there will always be a way in which the government or governments out there would lend money just to fix this problem and push it further down to the next generations to come. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the fear for ourselves, which is if you look back the last two years, a lot of retail jobs in the U.S. that have literally just gone, you know, insolvent. Um, in the U.K., that's happened up until yesterday. Almighty House of Fraser. I mean, you wouldn't even think House of Fraser, you know, is like a Macy's, I think, in the United States. We would okay. consider going into administration. Um, and it's a count of close to about 12,000 jobs as well. They've got families that I'm sure pay different types of bills across all this spectra of loans, mortgages, car loans. So where is this going to end? There will always be a China that will come to rescue them at some high interest rate. So they'll just go out and borrow more, you know, keep patching forwards because we live in that sort of credit system. And, you know, we're all part of it, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, with the exception of the mortgage that we're still paying, I think myself and the missus, we just said, you know, this year, next year, whatever it is that is old, we just need to just find ways to pay them off. Um, I could have done that, you know, if not for the restaurant and some other things I'm doing, but there's also a part of me that says, you know, life isn't just about paying off what you owe. You know, having debt is good, but yeah. bad debt is not good. Right. You know, so it's all about, and there's this concept of OPM, you know, other people's money. So nothing should stop me tomorrow from taking a loan of $50,000 tomorrow if it's going to make me 150. So I can take out of the system to do what I need to do and put it back. Um, and I just feel the best way people are going to get out of this is just to remain smart by using the system to get to their means of, you know, of um, success if they need to. But would we get to that day of reckoning? I don't think so. But things will increasingly get more difficult for those that are not prepared for the future. Um, I can see retail retailers going bust this year as well. I can see hotelers or hoteliers. Lots of hotels will start to go bust the next year with Airbnb literally stripping across everywhere. Um, it's only going to get worse from that perspective from people that are not, that are not looking online as that, need, that, as that major next level of investment to stay afloat. So um, as simple as a nanny that would naturally put you know, little tickets or adverts in supermarkets, everyone is going on Instagram. So, and that's what I say to people when I go, go and speak in events. I literally encourage them. 
you've got to open an account. You've got to have a digital footprint, a digital presence for your advertisements because that is the only way you're going to survive the next five years. Um, and it's only going to get tougher. You know, even on the streets of London and Manchester, there are lots of homeless people. And if you hear the stories, you know, they, they were no different from us in terms of they had well-paying jobs, they had, you know, great families and something happened and they lost it. It could be that they weren't preparing, they weren't planning ahead for six or nine months or a year ahead. Uh, it could have been, you know, it could just have been anything. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that massive reckoning because I think that this is cyclical. So what's happened in 20, uh, 2008 will definitely always happen again in a very, very slow way because it's a bit more controlled now with the print and the money and everything, all the, um, all the data that they're messing about with. Um, I don't know if you look at the U.S. debt ceiling. There's a website I go to, the U.S. debt clock or something. Right. You know, when I compare it to what it used to be 2008 till now, it is scary. And because the U.S. is locked in with other countries, you know, if that falls, which I suspect it might do, you know, um, with a standoff with China, with Russia, or should I say with a standoff with the BRICS country, you know the BRICS countries. Yeah. yeah. With a standoff that is going on, it's going to be a slow fall, but it will eventually happen. You know, a lot of people are ditching the dollar, which is scary. You know, um, it worked for a while, but, you know, you know, with this sort of, and, you know, it's a topic that we don't like to go into, but with a sort of new world order that's been created, it's going to be a massive shift. And there wouldn't be, from my perspective, an economic doom in that sense. It's probably going to start with a prefix. It's, going to, it's, going, it's probably going to be a war first before anything else. So it's going to be a war before an economic doom. Uh, yeah. That's what I see, you know. Um, but that's the one thing I'm worried about because of the, the next war could be the last one. I just no. saw your son. <laughs> You're right. What's wrong? You're hungry. All right, give me two minutes, all right? Um, do you want to come say hello? Come wave, come say hello. Come say hello. Hey, <laughs> how you doing? What's your name? Come say hello. Come say hello. Hey, what's your name? Hi. What's your name? What's your name? My name is Timmy. Hey, Timmy. I'm hey. Anthony. Justin. Nice to meet I'm you. That's Justin. You going to wave at them? Hey. See you soon. I can make you some food in there. Mom, mom went to Belgium for the weekend. She went to learn some cuisine over there. So wow. she's back on Monday. And um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm homeschooling. I'm home cooking everything. So How is it uh, that you are not much fatter given the quality of your wife's cooking? You know what? Um, it's something I've been working on. Um, <laughs> I used to be um, – well, I've always been like this, mainly, but – I yeah. tend to hover around um, 100 kg, which is about, I think if converted, about 200 pounds. Yeah. But yeah, I cycle a lot. I go to the gym, just, just keep myself healthy. I don't do the crazy things. So um, right. I just keep it nice and simple, you know. But um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Gus, uh, I know you're a busy man. You've you got to go feed <laughs> your, your son. I'm sure there's another son back there somewhere. No, um, he's upstairs. He's still upstairs, yeah. He hide it away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think what what I'd like to finish with like is, 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 is anything that you like to say um, to fit, wrap it up. Um, and I think usually what's what's kind of cool to wrap it up with is like your vision for for humanity, right? You know what? <clears throat> I think. <clears throat> excuse me. Part of the things that I plan to do, as I said, was like the cycling. Um, there are things that I do that 
that are weird to a lot of friends and family. For example, I'll be honest, we are trying to buy, and I'm hoping we can do this before December. The reason I parked it was because of the restaurant. Right. We're trying to buy um, uh, a military tank. Um, what? I, I drove past, yeah, yeah, seriously. I drove past um, uh, a military um, hardware store about three months ago. So um, they literally sell, um, you know, fully working military tanks that you can drive on a road. And my boys looked at me and said, Dad, can we just get one of this? And I'll never promise anything I can't do. Um, they gave me a quote then of about 18,000 pounds. And, you know, I said to the missus, even if it means I have to get a loan for this, I'll buy it. Because as part of what I do, which is very motivational, uh, there are company executives out there that I know would hire this for me for a day or two, you know, to take their teams around and do a little bit of team building exercise. You know, everything I do has to fit a purpose, has to fit a reason. So, and it's, it's also a thing for me about, there's always that mindset of what seems impossible, I have to do it because that's where I feel I earn my keep as a person, as a human being. Right. And that's something I can pass on to them. So, you know, I, I want to be known as that guy that came into this world and did things that were just weird. You know, um, I want to have a military tank packed in my house. <laughs> I want to know that I cycle the world. I want to know that, um, you know, I, I opened um, lots of uh, charity kitchens for free food around Manchester and London, which is part of what I'm trying to do for early next year. You know, and, you know, with, without wanting something back for myself, you know, right. um, if, if we take our greed from society, this would go a lot further. And unfortunately, we're being ruled by people who think there's a planet B, there's a second planet to this. You know, there's so much posturing going on. And if we could convert that posture into a bit of humility and a bit of always thinking of giving back first, you know, maybe that would help humanity, you know. So, yeah, that's one thing I'd love to do. But, you know, it's going to be hard because, you know, the grief factor is quite great. It's quite huge. Um, and if you look at the index in terms of rich versus poor, it's quite a wide gap. And, you know, I know that we can survive in this household, the four of us, we can survive on less than $5 a day. I know we can do that. So why do I need more? You know, and if I can get to a place where I'm giving out a lot more than I need, then I think I'll feel completed when the time comes, you know, as a legacy. So, yeah. But certainly look forward to the next session of this. I want to carry on this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is this, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great conversation. And I, I think I mentioned to you when, when we were Facebooking each other this week is um, yeah. one of the reasons we started this podcast is to reconnect. Well, we started for a lot of different reasons, but one of the benefits of it is that we, we got to reconnect with a lot of uh, the Speak to Inspire family, right? Sure, and every, sure. Every, and this is, you're basically the third person we talked to from the... Oh, from the fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, every one of the discussions have been uplifting and encouraging. Right. And it, it kind of brought back a little, uh, that, that feeling that we had in London. I don't know about sure. you, but, but when I was in London, I, I, I felt so, I felt, to me, it was almost like a spiritual experience. I felt incredibly yeah. um, motivated I felt like I was on top of the world and I felt like I could do anything when I came back from there. Right? Absolutely. Because absolutely. of the energy yeah. and the quality of the people around us. Yeah, right? absolutely. And these podcasts, these, having these talks with people that were together with us in London um, yeah. has been phenomenal for me. Mm. I've been able to create that energy yeah, and carry it forward. 
I didn't want it to end, to be honest. It felt that good for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just such a great experience, meeting different people from so many different places. And I, I think credit to you guys, because you made that longer journey from the States and Canada to come all the way. Um, maybe sometime in the future, you know, if it's something we can all just um, agree to, we need to meet up somewhere, you know, somewhere where it could be, I mean, I don't, I don't know, it could be Brazil, it could be, but we need to just do something and at least commit into an idea that we can take forward from there. But, but, but also, we don't have to wait till then, but um, I think we need to just meet up physically at some stage. We'll put a date to it in the future and literally just do it. That sounds like a great idea to me. Absolutely. I look forward to that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, look forward to the next podcast, you know. Um, yeah, if you, want me to, if you want me to join in as a silent listener to your next call, what happens? <laughs> well, so uh, when, the, when the podcasts are up, we'll send you a link to it. Sure. Look forward. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Justin, That's have a good great. one. Take yeah, care. you too, guys, Enjoy. Talk to you soon again. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.